thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Erado, and with me, as always, is a guy who, if he owned a store, would never charge too much for eggs, <laughs> Mike Vandebogart. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Just a couple of uh, quick announcements here. First, I'd like to thank a couple new Patreon supporters. So, uh, Sarah uh, Hemmerich and Carl Parker. Um, kind of sad. There's only two. So if you're listening and want to help the show out, it's probably Sarah Helmrich. Helmrich. There we go. <laughs> Got already starting off on a good foot. Here. That's a good one. Yeah. Helmrich. Um, so if also we've got a phone number you can call the show. Yeah, if Sarah, you, call that number and let Mike know how you feel yeah. about uh, him saying your name, Hemmerich. Uh, if you like us, hate us, have episode suggestions, anything, you've uh, had a long day at the bar and just want to talk, uh, <laughs> call a 208-391-6913. Just remember, anything you say on the voicemail could and probably will be used on a future show. So yeah, I think the only thing we've ever bleeped out was like personal information. Like an address saying, or yeah, phone number. Exactly. Yeah. So everything um, else is fair game. Everything else is fair game. Um, you can also support us on many different platforms if you like the show and want to help us out. Obviously, on Patreon, we have YouTube memberships. We have premium subscriptions on Apple. We've got a store on our website and on Facebook where you can buy some swag. Uh, so, and you know what? If you you're uh, short on cash, but you still really like the show, just tell everyone you know about the show and go to the different platforms and like the videos and um, you know share videos with friends, and that helps us uh, work our way up the algorithms. Oh yeah, that's just as valuable. Yeah, and finally, uh, this is kind of a, a new little mini series that we're gonna try out. Uh, in the future, it won't be every episode in a row, but there's a lot of cases out there that um, are too short to really do a full episode on, but they're still important to get the cases out there. So from time to time, we're going to do a cold case episode on a different park. So today we're covering a couple cases from Grand Canyon National Park, which we've actually never done a case from Grand you're, Canyon. You're just spoiling the beans. Yes, yeah, sorry. Spilling the beans, spoiling, spoiling it, spilling, whatever it is. Spoiling the beans, yep. so... Um, so yeah, so from time to time we'll be doing, uh, I think we're calling it national park cold cases. Yeah. You're just spilling all the beans, spilling all the beans. We'll <laughs> cut, we'll edit all of that out. No, we won't. No, we won't. Um, so other than that, I, I don't have any other updates. You Joe? No. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. With over 52 million acres, the U.S. National Park System is home to some of the most breathtaking natural features on the planet. Tens of millions enjoy the parks every year. While most visits end with the amazing memories, many have not. The official NPS cold case count stands at 29. However, independent researchers estimate between 1,100 and 1,600 unsolved disappearances originate in our parks. Join us this week as we begin the miniseries, National Park Cold Cases. So we're going to start this first series off with the Grand Canyon National Park. Which I spoiled. Yep, you spoiled. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just giving you crap. Um, I've never been here, have you? I've flown over it. I have. Uh, I've seen it from the parking lot 
like near one of the highways <laughs> as we were driving through. So you like made a change, like we got to pull over and at least stop and look at it. Yeah. So right. I've been out of a car and have stared at it. It's really cool. I've, so you've kind of been there. I've been there. I've never hiked it. It okay. looks really cool. You can, I think you can do it on horseback. Yeah. Which sounds really fun. That's and it sounds terrifying. Yeah. If you're going if you're going up and down the walls. Oh yeah. Uh, no thanks, but I'm doing it anyway. Those horses know what they're doing though. <laughs> I bet not no horses have ever fallen off. No. Ever. So yeah, I, I, it's looked pretty from an airplane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's I've seen it mostly when flying to Vegas. So Grand Canyon National Park is nineteen hundred and two square miles, so it's larger than the state of Rhode Island. It's big. It's big. Uh, it is in Arizona. It was established on February 26, 1919. This park sees roughly 4.5 million visitors per year. That's the 13th in the country, and those are as of uh, 2021. Uh, Habitation history in the area. People have been a part of the Grand Canyon's history and culture from 10,000 years ago through today. 11 contemporary tribes have cultivated links in the area. Cultural. Cultural. I said, no, no, I want to say cultivated. (laughs) And their oral histories are rich with references to the creation of the Great Chasm and Torrential River. Some of the tribes are the Hopi, the Navajo Nation, the Pueblo of Zuni, and the Yavapi Apache Nation. From the 16th century on, tribes familiar with the region were guides and informants for the Spanish and later Euro-American explorers. So let's talk about some interesting facts. Uh, The Hopi tribe considers the Grand Canyon a gateway to the afterlife. The tribe has always placed great spiritual significance on the site. They believe that upon death, a person passes westward through a place of emergence, located upstream from the confluence of the Colorado and Little Colorado Rivers in the canyon, on his or her journey to the afterlife. Temperatures vary greatly within the canyon. From the rim of the canyon to its lowest point, the temperature can change from more than 25 degrees. The depths of the gorge are notoriously hot during the summer, while the north rim is often below freezing in winter. In 1909, the canyon was the site of a a giant hoax. The Arizona Gazette reported that archaeologists had discovered traces of ancient Tibetan and Egyptian civilization in an underground tunnel into the canyon. The Smithsonian denied the entire story, claiming that they had no knowledge of the archaeologists. To this day, conspiracy theorists still believe this may have been a government cover-up. I had never heard of that. So, <clears throat> even if there were ancient traces of people there, yeah, they can't be Tibetan or Egyptian because they're not in Tibet or Egypt. <laughs> yeah. So they'd be Native Americans. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting little. Uh, Unless they're claiming like Egyptians came to the canyon and settled. I don't know. But then they would be, I don't know, Egyptian American settlers. Maybe we'll, we'll have to cover that on a. Uh, <sighs> you know what? I believe with episode. the theorists, I think it's a government cover up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Despite being the most famous, the Grand Canyon is not actually the world's deepest canyon. Depending on how the depth of the gorge is measured, the Arizona landmark actually comes behind the Cotahuasi Canyon in Peru and the Kali Gandaki Gorge in Nepal. Ah, the Kali Gandaki Gorge in Nepal. The most dangerous animal in the canyon is actually the rock squirrel. <laughs> this is like, uh, what's that movie with the rabbit? Uh, Monty Python search for the Holy Grail. Remember oh, the rabbit that I haven't seen that movie in so long. <laughs> when they're trying to get into the cave and it's guarded by a little white rabbit, <laughs> no. but it like lunges through the air and bites your head off. <laughs> I don't remember so that. Even though the Gila monster and bighorn sheep also live there, visitors are most often bitten by the humble squirrel. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's by like sheer attack volume. Yeah, yeah. It's by like the most bites of an animal. Okay. All right. They're obviously not dangerous. Yeah. They're like, it's not killing people. <laughs> Unless maybe one of them had like it, rabies or something. It's just causing the most injuries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no one is completely sure about the age of the Grand Canyon. It was long believed that the Colorado River started carving out the canyon 6 million years ago, but recent studies have shown this process may have actually started 70 million years ago. Quite the difference. And I know a couple guys that think it happened much more rapidly at the offset of the Ice Age. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. I I think it's out for debate. Yeah. I'm sure they'll eventually settle that. I'm sure they won't, (laughs) (laughs) but I love speculating about it. Yeah. Uh, The canyon is full of fossils. Though none of them are from dinosaurs, since the canyon layers were formed long before dinosaurs walked the earth, it is, however, home to fossils of ancient marine animals that date back 1.2 billion years. 
Uh, it's home to a huge mystery. The Grand Canyon displays a geological phenomenon known as the Great Unconformity. This phenomenon refers to the fact that 250 million-year-old rock layers lie directly against 1.2 billion-year-old rock layers. No one knows what happened to the hundreds of millions of years missing layers. Uh, I know a couple guys that have a theory that actually explains that pretty well. Like, their theory is that a crap load of water carved it really rapidly. Yeah. So that would make sense where it just dug a hole deep so you get rock mixed up. So I, to me, that kind of goes towards uh, Graham Hancock and Alan, or it's Alan. I don't know. Alan and Graham. Yeah, yeah They're much ostracized have, by the archaeologist community, but they I have, have a great show on uh, Netflix called I Ancient have no clue, but Apocalypse. I love the, the speculation. <clears throat> I love thinking about stuff. It makes my brain happy. <laughs> makes your brain happy. Uh, did you know this, Mike? Fewer people have successfully completed a continuous lengthwise hike through the Grand Canyon than have walked on the moon. I didn't know this before researching this case. Ah, you're supposed to play along. <laughs> and then that's assuming that we actually walked on the moon. Oh, boy. <laughs> that one I'm not going with. That one I, I definitely yeah. believe we've been there because you can see the landing site with telescopes. Yes. Uh, the air at the Grand Canyon is among the cleanest air in the United States. That one is crazy to me Yeah, because it's such a desert arid area. I wonder why that is. I wonder if it's like when you go in the gorge, particulate doesn't get down there or something. That or maybe it's just in like a, an area where it gets... It's so far away from people. It's so it just far away from everything. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, exists because of the Grand Canyon. This I didn't know. I didn't in, either. In the 1950s, commercial airplanes often took detours over the park to give passengers a look at the marvel. In 1956, however, two of these planes tragically collided. The crash had no survivors. Sorry for the little giggle there, but that makes sense. Leading to the federal government creating the FAA. Oh, so they had an accident of two people trying to check it out and crashing yeah. into each other. And that is, you know, it's kind of interesting you think about, and going on a little tangent here, you know, flying commercially is so incredibly safe. Yeah. And when you go to an airport and you go flying, you realize, like, all the procedures that you see in place and everything that's going that's on. That's where Six Sigma quality came from, right? Yeah. But think, like, you know, before 1956, there wasn't even a, a body that, Managed, yeah, they just it was, flew planes wherever they it wanted. Was just yeah, so I mean, it's like, hey, we're going there. It's uh, relatively, let's go over here first, cuz yeah, it's relatively <laughs> new, and it's I always just marvel at just how safe it is, and how if you think about how many planes and commercial jets are in the air at any given point, yeah, I mean, tens of thousands. Well, drinking and driving was not illegal up until like the last. 40 years. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, you could used to be able to drink with like yeah. a beer open in your car. Yeah, like you could be actively drinking and then just be like, hey, stop it. Which I mean, it's still legal on a boat. You yeah. can't be in the driver's seat, but you can obviously yeah. have open yeah. open beer on a boat. At least oh yeah, the drivers concept. could be drinking back in the day. They're just like, <laughs> hey, you're too drunk. Go home. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> definitely not advocating for that, but it's just crazy no. how quick things change and how things used to be acceptable that are not like <laughs> Randomly flying planes. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get into the uh, the description of features of the Grand Canyon. Our friends over at the Copen Climate Classification System say that the Grand Canyon actually has five climate zones. Cold, semi-arid, humid, continental, dry, cool summer, humid, continental, dry, warm summer, <laughs> warm summer Mediterranean, and hot summer Mediterranean. Hot, what is that? What is that? A few summers? Hot girl summer? Hot girl summer? I think it, <laughs> you and I are going to have a hot girl summer yeah. with some of the cool news that's coming up that yes. we're going to tease a little bit. Hot girl summer. I it starts in April. That's kind of like kicking it off. Not sure what a hot girl summer is. I don't know either, <laughs> but it sounds like it's a fun thing and we're going to have a fun summer. So we're going to have a hot girl summer. Yeah. We're going to have people call, people call the number and tell us if we're using it inappropriately and uh, if we shouldn't be. Yeah, well, I, we sh I know we shouldn't be, but if it's bad, we, we sound like two old guys we, talking we are, we about are two hot, old hot girl summers. <laughs> I'm almost forty. I'm thirty-seven, so I am almost a uh, completely old guy. You're like ten at heart. Though. I'm just we've just alienated <laughs> so much of our audience by saying hot girl summer, then calling almost forty old. <laughs> We're done for. We're done. This is the last one. You're not going to hear the announcement because everyone's leaving. Uh, so summer temperatures in the south rim at seven thousand feet are relatively pleasant with high temperatures generally in the 80s and uh, temperatures typically warming to over 100 degrees at the river near Phantom Ranch at 2,400 feet. I'm guessing that's like that's the, the beginning lowest, of it. lowest point in the park. Okay. 
Uh, the North Rim summer high temperatures are typically cooler than the South Rim due to increased elevation at 8,000 feet with highs typically ranging in the 70s. That sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Overnight lows can still drop near to below freezing occasionally on the North Rim, although typically low temperatures range from the 40s and 50s at the South Rim to 60s and 70s at Phantom Ranch. Summer thunderstorms frequently occur during July and August and early September with the potential for torrential rains. That would be real, and frequent lightning and sudden flash floods. That'd be cool to be in a storm at the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I bet that's just stunning. So like, and not be like down in Oh yeah, not, not in a flash flood zone, but yeah. like maybe like, on the rim camping, watching it come like in. And, in your car. Yeah, or that. <laughs> uh, winter conditions on the South Rim can be extreme. Be prepared for snowy, icy roads and trails and possible road closures. Winter weather typically begins by November and becomes well entrenched by December and January with frequent to light to moderate snows and increasingly cold weather. Low temperatures are genuinely in the teens among the rim. However, afternoon high temperatures still average in the 40s due to the amount of sunshine the area receives. That's crazy. They'll get like snowstorms, then it will all melt, then it will happen again. Uh, The terrain. The land is semi-arid and consists of raised plateaus and structural basins typical of the southwestern United States. If anyone's flown anywhere over there, it all looks the same. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Drainage systems have cut deeply through the rock, forming numerous steep-walled canyons. Forests are found at higher elevations, while the lower elevations are made up of a series of desert basins. The highest point in the park is Point Imperial on the north rim at 8,803 feet. The lowest point in the park is Phantom Ranch on the bottom of the canyon floor at 2,400 feet. So what are the types of dangers we see here? Uh, Besides the rock squirrel, uh, (laughs) we have bighorn sheep, black bears, which are very rare. Uh, According to the National Park Service, some black bears can be found in the conifer forests around the north rim. Uh, Odds are you will not see them. Yes, very rare. And they're definitely not grizzlies. No. (laughs) Mountain lions, mule deer, Grand Canyon bats... Uh, there are bison on the north rim. There are elk, California condors, bald eagles, six species of rattlesnake, scorpions, gila monsters, and the treacherous rock squirrel. <laughs> uh, tips for safely hiking the Grand Canyon. So, oh, uh, go ahead. Oh, real quickly. So yep. these are tips, you know, kind of tailored for Grand Canyon National Park, but these would be good tips for really hiking. Just hiking in general. Anywhere in probably the southwest. Um, so I just wanted to... Make little, that point. Little, little, little point. Little posty note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Know your abilities and choose an appropriate hike. This this goes everywhere. Yeah. You will be hiking at high elevation in hot, dry desert conditions with a steep climb out at the end of the day. Everyone who hikes in the canyon for the first time reports that it was more difficult than they expected. Be conservative in planning your hike. Yeah, especially if your beginning is downhill. Yeah. You're like, oh, right, great. This is great. Uphill is terrible. Yeah. It's like 10 times longer than going downhill. Yep. Yeah, I think when we went to Colorado, we did a mountain. It took us two and a half days to get up it and four hours to get down. It, yeah, you know like, what? Because you're going. It was so steep in some areas. You're moving at like four it, to six times the pace. It probably took me a good four or five hiking trips before I started getting better about how long I thought something would take me. Yeah, by looking at a map and like elevation gain and. Because your first, t- if you're new at new to hiking and you get out there, you'd be like, "Oh, I could do five miles." And yeah, you think three of hours. five miles in a city on <clears throat> flat roads, yeah, versus five five miles of terrain at altitude with like three thousand feet of elevation gain. You got forty pounds on your back, and yeah. it's a hundred degrees out. Yeah, you won't. Well, be you shouldn't have forty pounds. <laughs> no. <clears throat> number two tip is be lightweight. <laughs> Travel as light tip. as possible. <laughs> I always end up bringing camera equipment, which yeah. weighs the most. Yeah, I uh, always pack too much. Yeah. I, I'm guilty of this one. Yeah. Usually, though, what we overpack is, like, safety-related things. Yeah, it's stuff that, like, the chances of happening are super low, which I could probably not bring it, but the one time I don't bring it, it would happen. <laughs> and because we do this show, I'm a little paranoid, <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, I guess I'll bring an extra two pounds of this stuff that yeah. I've never used before. I bring, like, more paracord than you would ever need. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually used it. Yeah. At least we integrate it in our stuff though. Yeah. Like I replace handles with paracord Yep, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, extra food than I'd need and extra all like, it's mostly for me, it's camera. Like if I bring my drone, that's a pain. Yeah. Uh, so the heaviest item in your backpack should be food and water. Should be. Uh, use hiking sticks to take stress off your legs. Uh, the, the jury's out on that. And that's funny that that's a contention on whether hiking poles are better or worse. 
I think they're better. I think it depends think on where you're hiking. Way. Yeah, they get in the way, but they help keep you stable, and they do keep like allow I, your arms to take some of the brunt instead of your knees. I do like if I know I'm going to be hiking on a real like ledge with a steep drop off. I do like having one on the drop to put on the side. ledge slide. Yeah, to just yeah. kind of be the extra little guard yeah, against. You like, start losing your balance. Yeah, yeah. I mean. That's just my personal preference. No, I, I 100% agree with you. Also, when I'm hiking downhill, that's when you lose your toenails. Yeah. Whenever I hike downhill with the poles and I allow them to take a lot of the brunt, I don't lose toenails. Yeah. I've noticed that. Every time I hike downhill without a pole, I'll lose at least a toenail. I always lose toenails. Whenever feels. I do with the poles, because I push them in as I yeah. go and take the, absorb the shock, it helps. So that's just one <laughs> non-scientific study yeah. of just me. <laughs> A saying when you I and use to- them, you and your toenails. I, yeah, when I use hiking poles, I keep my toenails. When I don't, I lose my toenails. <laughs> uh, wear well fitting and broken in hiking boots. That's a huge one. If your shoes are brand new, like wear them to work for a couple weeks before you get on a hiking trip. Make sure I they're remember, broken in. Uh, Shay, our first hiking trip in Utah, he brought his army boots that he had never worn before. Yeah. Bo- Big, biggest mistake of his life. He had a he had a blister the size of his foot on the bottom of his foot yeah. from it. Yeah, so. and that will ruin your trip. <laughs> that will hundred percent ruin your trip <laughs> for him. Uh, bring a small lightweight flashlight and the change of batteries and a bulb. Uh, wear sunscreen, sunglasses, and a hat. Bring a map, compass, signal mirror, or whistle. First aid kit and water purification tablets in case you run out of water. Keep in mind that all trash, including biodegradable, needs to be carried out of the canyon. Leave no trace. That means human waste. Yes. Biodegradable. (laughs) So, yep. They they usually have bags for you to uh, defecate in that also smell like lemons. Like uh, bags for like a dog when you're walking up. They're a little bit more. Remember the ones we got when we did the um, top down in Zion? Yeah. Those were, those, it made, it was, everything smelled like lemon when you're done. And honestly, I mean, not to get into too much detail, but. (laughs) Get into the detail. I usually don't, when you're up at elevation, you're working that hard. You don't usually have to go to the bathroom that much. Yeah. Like number two, at least. You're not getting enough calories. Yeah. Your body's just using it all. Yep. Uh, If you can talk while you're walking, you're going the right speed. When you huff and puff, your body is not getting enough oxygen. Walking at a pace that allows you to be able to walk and talk means that your legs and body are getting the oxygen needed for to function efficiently. That's an important point because you can, a lot of times the urge is when you start hiking to like power walk through the hike, but you really need to just go at a steady a pace. It's Think of it as a marathon, not a sprint. If you plan right, you should have enough time to get in and out yeah. and not rush it. Uh, take a break and avoid hiking between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. That's a big window. Yeah. Even if you are eating and drinking correctly, you still need to avoid hiking in direct sunlight during the hottest part of the day. Sun temperatures are uh, 15 to 20 degrees hotter than posted shade temperatures. And keep in mind, the farther into the canyon you go, the hotter it gets. Watch out for the four H's. Heat exhaustion, heat stroke, (laughs) water intoxication. uh, Hyponotremia. Hyponotremia. So I'm, I'm going to look that up. I don't have the, oh, I don't have our voice thing I may pulled have, up. I may have spelled it wrong. I think I was it's, it's, it's got to be something Hyponatremia. Else. I missed the P. Okay. I believe. It, like you just look, look it up and see, because otherwise I'm going to see if the computer can say this one, because that would be really funny. I bet it is hypo. But essentially what that's saying Hyponatremia. is... Hyponatremia. Yeah, it even corrected it when I put it in wrong. It's <laughs> not something I've typically worried about, but you can, in a desert environment, think like, all right, I'm going to over drink water to like prepare for this. And you can actually hurt yourself by drinking too much water at yeah. you know, a, a given point. So... It's like that, uh, the weed, the weed, hold your weed to win a Wii lady who died. Oh yeah. She from trying to win a Nintendo Wii. Yeah. Drink as much water as you can and don't pee for a while. And she actually, uh, diluted her body so much of nutrients that it ended up killing her. Yeah. It dilutes like the salt in your body. So actually bringing along those packets are good. The hydration packets that you put in your water. Those are very good. Gatorade powder mix. Yeah. Any of the powder mixes, um, that have, uh, what are those called? Electrolytes. Electrolytes. That's the word I'm <laughs> looking for. Is. Hey. Hey. Uh, watch your time. Plan on t- taking twice as long to hike up as it took to hike down, and I would even say even more than that. If you're yeah. newer, it's longer than twice as long. If you know what you're doing and you're pretty fit, it can be twice as long and a little less. Allow a third of your time to descend and two-thirds of your time to ascend. As a courtesy, give uphill hikers the right of way. Bring a small, lightweight flashlight in case you end up hiking in the dark. 
Uh, mules have the right of way. Yeah. So if there's a mule, get out of the way. Because <laughs> they're bigger and, than And uh, they might make you go cliffside. Yeah. Because uh, they don't want their mules to go cliffside because they freak out and jump off the cliff. So that's got to be good. careful. <laughs> uh, overall difficulty, according to all trails, Grand Canyon National Park has suitable skill levels for everybody with 37 trails listed. 30 listed as, uh, 37 trails listed as easy, 30 listed as moderate, and 66 listed as hard. So there is a trail for all. All types of people. Yeah. The easiest trail is the 0.1 mile Walhalla Overlook, a trail that is kid-friendly and wheelchair accessible. It's probably right off the parking lot. Yeah. The hardest trail is the Nankoweep Trail. This is how the NPS describes the most difficult named trail in the park. With 11 miles of exposure and a trail that comes within inches of hundreds of feet plunges, Nankaweep uh, tests the metal and skills of backcountry hikers. It has the highest drop of all the rim-to-rim trails at 5,640 vertical feet and is suicidal to attempt in the searing summer months. Nankaweep is unmarked and route-finding skills often come into play. It's rare to see anyone else on the trail. Cell phones don't work. GPS units are often blocked by the canyon walls, and help isn't available. So <laughs> That's how the National Park Service describes the trail. <laughs> so do not it's tough. go on the Nankoweep Trail. If it's I'll just say that. First time hiking. Uh, maybe just don't, don't do, do it, it at all. There's lots of other rim-to-rim hikes that won't kill you. Yeah. So uh, that's a, a pretty... A good description of Grand Canyon National Park. I'm going to jump right into our three cases here. And I wanted to, um, because two of these cases discuss suicide, we we haven't really done this before, but I just want to make just a a note here for anyone, because a lot of people do listen to the show now. Um, So if anyone, you know... Want to like know. say right before the one that you're going to do that covers it so they can skip if they want? Yeah, I mean... uh, the next, well, the first one uh, doesn't have to deal with suicide, but the this last two potentially could. We don't know. Okay, but um, so if you or anyone you know is you know in a suicidal crisis or emotional distress, you can dial nine eight eight on your phone that calls the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, or visit nine eight eight lifeline dot org. Uh, they they staff it with people twenty four hours a day, seven days a week in the U S. They're not a sponsor of the show. Um, we're just putting that up there just because put in the notes yeah you know a lot of these cases we've you know we talk about theories and um mental health comes up a lot um i don't know that it's necessarily a theory and a lot you know the cause for a lot of these but it it comes up so you know and there's definitely a you know mental health crisis across the country so if anyone listening needs help you call that that number on your phone uh free of charge so with that said we are going to jump right into our first case and this case uh, it's a gentleman well it's a child named justin richardson date of birth was june 6th 1988 he went missing july 2nd 2001 in it's technically not the grand canyon he went missing in the national forest which is just south but i included it in the grand canyon case um he has never been found or remains found he was male age 13 uh, height was four feet 10 inches weighed 100 100 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes, and he was last seen in a red Chicago Bulls uh, basketball jersey and denim shorts. His um, nickname was Little Man, and at the time of his disappearance, his hair was shaved on the sides and long on the top. So this is an interesting case. Uh, It starts out June 29th of 2001. Justin was last seen in the area of the National Forest, with three friends who were between the ages of 18 and 21. The group of four had gone to the area to allegedly party in the woods where they were to attain methamphetamine and get high. Other sources indicate that they had already been partying when they went to the woods. But it is widely... He's 13? 13. And, like, they're looking for meth? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> so That's insane. Yeah. Um, it's so young. <clears throat> So it's not sure, they're not sure if they went into the woods to party or already been partying, but it's widely agreed that they were under the influence of meth and most likely alcohol. Um, at the time, Justin lived with his father in, um, I'm going to butcher this town name, Tucson. I don't know if you can Tucson? find it. Tucson? No, it's T-U-S-A-Y-A-N. 
It's a small town located just two miles from the south entrance to Grand Canyon National Park. So Justin and let's see, Joe's going to look it up here. If you're watching on YouTube, that's what Joe is doing. Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, not Tucson. Tucson. So it's very close to the park. There's Kebab National Forest. Okay. Yeah. So that's the forest they're in. See, there's the National Park sign. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love how that's on Google. So that's like right at the entrance to the park, it seems like. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that's I, that's why I included it. It's technically not, this one's not Holy in cow. Grand Canyon. The airport is bigger than the entire town. <laughs> Look at that. This is the town. Yeah. The runway is four times larger than the town. Yeah, they said the town had a population of like 500 people. So uh, very small town. It seems like it's, that must be a range outside of what I'm seeing here because yeah. unless it's a commune. <laughs> Look at there's like yeah, 30 not, buildings. Not much there. Holy cow. So I guess that's why they're doing drugs. I don't know. But so Justin and his three friends became separated while they were in the woods and two of the friends got lost. Justin and another friend went back to the town they're from and asked another friend to help look for the missing pair. In the meantime, the two missing friends were located by Grand Canyon Railway employees just south of town, but Justin was not aware of this. Justin and the Another of his friends returned to the National Forest at a spot five miles from town and 15 miles from where the previously lost friends had been found uh, earlier. There's really no indication of the timeline of these events, but his friend, um, I guess, fell asleep at 9 a.m. And he woke up at around 5 p.m. and Justin was gone. When his friend awoke and could not find Justin, he hiked out of the area to a dirt road and hitched a ride back to town. None of the men um, with Justin reported Justin missing. Justin was reported missing by his father on July 1st of 2001 and has not been heard from since. Justin did have a history of running away from home before, and at the time investigators believed it was possible he had hitched a ride out of the woods to try to run away again, and he supposedly... um, he supposedly knew the woods very well. So by the time he had been missing uh, two weeks, an extensive search party at that was about 150 strong began sweeping the area of the forest where Justin was last seen. They had helicopters, search dogs, um, both on foot and in vehicles. After interviewing the men with Justin the day he disappeared, authorities at the time ruled out foul play, although they continued to track the persons of interest in the case for more than 15 years, which is interesting. <clears throat> so now fast forward to 2014. There, there is like nothing yeah, around this town. It's desolate. Like this is it. And there's n- nothing. Yeah. This is the next major road. Yeah. It's a freeway. Look how far away that is. Yeah. That's desolate. Cool. That's crazy. So, like I said, fast forwarding to 2014 now. Investigators stated that there was new evidence that Justin May had returned to the area of the now closed Moikwai Lodge in uh, Tucson. Probably said all that wrong. Um, <laughs> in an interview with Joe Summer, a vol- volunteer for the uh, county sheriff's office, also a retired criminal investigator for the National Park Service, he said he did not want to share too many details due to the case still being open. Summer stated, there has been no sightings, no calls, nothing to indicate he's living somewhere else right now. There's no evidence he's still alive, and he's not considered a runaway at this time. Let's see what Google says. Tucson. Tucson. I think we got it right. Yeah, yeah. all right. (laughs) Uh, Investigators do believe now that foul play is possible in Justin's case and theorize he could have been killed in the forest shortly after his disappearance. When asked if he thinks somebody knows where Justin is, Summer said, I think so. Some people, presumably the older friends Justin was with, have been re-interviewed in the case. An initial suspect in the case, one of those partaking in meth with uh, meth use with Justin, is now dead, beaten to death in what appeared to be a case of mistaken identity. Captain Terry Lawson, who worked the case at the time, pointed out that it would have been very difficult for Justin to become lost for very long. He had been in the area several times before and had knowledge of the terrain. Helicopters constantly crisscross the skies above the area. Lawson said at the time, um, Lawson said at the time, and Justin would have known he could follow them back to Tucson. 
Lawson also said there were numerous landmarks in the area and a local resident like Justin would have known where, um, you know, fences, power lines, dirt roads would have been as well as railroad tracks. So law enforcement thinks he, you know, if he, you know, passed out from drug use and then woke up, he would have been able to find his way back. So I've never done meth, but yeah. is it possible, even if you know what you're doing normally on meth, he could have just, well, all the videos of people I see on, on that drug, like completely out of their minds. I have a list of short-term and long-term effects of meth use. I'll get into that mm. and then we'll go into theories. All right then. <laughs> so um, just a couple other notes on this case. Uh, a couple sources stated that Justin had a girlfriend in Chicago um, and they theorized that maybe he left on his own accord. That's very shady. And went to Chicago. Someone to, from Chicago. Yeah. Not to be trusted. And he's 13. That, that's what makes us all just weird. So he's 13, had a girlfriend in Chicago, and he's from a town of 500 people. Yeah, and they said that, you know, maybe he was catfished or... I'm thinking he was catfished. But we don't... This is just speculation. And then they said, um, you know, other theories. On top of the effects of drugs, midsummer in that part of Arizona can be extremely hellish. The train around there is especially rugged. Uh, it definitely is still possible that he fell victim to the elements and his body is hidden away somewhere or... Um, you know, his, his friends were a part of it. So before we get into theories, here's because obviously I've never done meth and you've never done meth. Yep. I don't know anyone that's done meth, so I've never really spent a lot of time thinking yeah, about it. I don't think I know anyone that's no. done it. But um, it, it's a pretty pretty hard drug based on the... Um, based on the videos I've seen. Yeah, based on the short-term and long-term effects. So these are the short-term effects that can happen just from using meth a few times hyperexcitability, dilated pupils, bizarre behavior, increased body temperature, erratic heartbeat, extreme irritability, sustained periods without sleep, loss of appetite and weight loss, nausea, vomiting, panic, psychosis, and violent behavior. Sounds like a baby on sugar. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, I guess. Yeah. And these are the uh, long-term effects for people that have used uh, meth for a, a long period of time. Extreme weight loss, serious dental problems, also known as meth mouth, Decreased motor skills, impaired brain function, easily distracted, memory loss, skin sores, violent neurotic behavior, dramatic mood swings, hallucinations, paranoia, psychosis, um, cardiovascular damage, and structural changes to the brain. So jumping right into theories, if he's hanging out with older guys that have been using meth for many years, I could easily see one of them just going crazy and killing him. Yeah. And then they hide the body. Yeah. I, I think... Um Either that or he had a medical emergency and... Oh, like overdose and then they got like rid of the body? That or overdosed in an area that they just weren't able to find him. Yeah, and it seems... The train uh, is so rugged I took a nap and I woke up and he was gone. Yeah. That's very convenient. I mean... And it's a small town where maybe they're all troublemakers. They're just like, whatever. And you could see a medical emergency if it's that hot and he's dehydrated from doing drugs for a whole day. Yeah. Like your heart would just give out. Yeah. Um, so it may be the dehydration caused him to, like we always say, didn't think clearly. Yep. Wandering around, maybe he injured himself. And, um, I think we don't know the character of the other people he was with, but I think law enforcement they're, now they're thinks, using meth. So there's one indicator of the character of the people he's with. <laughs> yeah. So law Hanging enforcement with a little kid doing drugs, a 13 year old. That, yeah. That's, that's the character the people were talking that's about. That's a good point. Yeah. They're, they're zero character, zero negative character. If that's possible, it is possible. <laughs> it's if you're an adult or an older kid and you are giving meth to a new teenager, you're a piece of trash and you have zero negative character. It's bad enough <laughs> if you're, you know, doing meth with other people, but if you're giving it to a child, yeah, um, that's a, a new kind of scumbag. Yep. Just <laughs> so, pure, pure garbage. I think in this one, I agree with law enforcement that, uh, probably foul play had something to do with it because psychosis, that means you went crazy. Yeah. So he could, someone could have hallucinated and saw like a creature coming at him and threw a rock at his head and then came to and like, Oh crap. What do we do? Yeah. And you're still not going to be thinking clearly. So I think, sadly, um, foul play came into this one. So, No, I, I'm going to agree with you on that one. I think it sounds like foul play. All right, moving on to our next case. Um, the gentleman of this case is Drake Kramer. He was born in September 30th of 1993. 
He went missing on January 31st of 2015. Uh, he has not been found. His remains have not been found. He was male, age 21. He was five foot six to five foot eight, 135 to 145 pounds. He had brown hair, blue eyes. He was last seen in a gray-green sweatshirt, blue jeans, a dark-colored bandana, or a dark-colored baseball cap with a pattern and a um, black Adidas shoes. His father described him as a frugal, hard worker, and a good student who loved nature. Um, medical issues, it was noted in all the case research I did that he may have been suicidal at the time of his disappearance. Did they explain why? They did not. Okay. And the family was, well, we'll get into that, but family didn't see it coming. So yeah. he's from, <clears throat> he was from San Antonio, Texas. He was enrolled at the University of Texas studying geology. And at the time of his disappearance, he worked at a local Lowe's. Uh, according to family, he was very experienced in the outdoors, according to his father. I obviously, I, experiencing the outdoors, I think, is like wisdom. It comes with time. Yeah. It, I don't know how experienced a 21-year-old could be at it. I think. Yeah. I, went, I mean, I had been seriously hiking and camping for five years, and I was not experienced at 21. So, I mean whatever i i was just thinking of that you know experience sure. i think it, it, experience comes from doing yeah and how much hiking are you able to do yeah making little 21. mistakes and learning yeah you know getting lost running out of water stuff like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> all the things we tell you not to do is because we've probably done that. yeah uh experience in this location we're unsure on the specific location he was at but he had visited the park several times in the past so he he knew grand canyon national park i mean okay. it's huge so yeah. Who knows to what extent? Uh, so, story starts uh, January 31st, 2015. It's kind of a range here to Sunday, February 1st of 2015. After a one-night stay at the National Park's Bright Angel Lodge, Kramer checked out February 1st and was reported missing the next day by a family member, according to a statement from the National Park Service. The family was surprised he had, driv he had driven to California first and then on to the canyon. The last they saw him was on January 29th when they went to see the film American Sniper, and his family reported that he was in good spirits. They also said it was very unlike him to travel to places like the Grand Canyon alone, but he had been to the area two or three times before. However, like we said earlier, they, they claimed he was a very experienced outdoorsman. So you looking at Bright Angel Lodge? Yeah, it's right on the rim. That's probably beautiful. I'm going to look up some pictures That's of that. That's the south rim, right? Uh, I believe so. Uh, I believe it's the south rim. Uh, yeah, it's on the south side. So yeah, that's, yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> North is that way. So I assume it is. It's now uh, February second of twenty fifteen, Monday. Pull some pictures out there. This is the day he was reported missing. So on Monday, a series of concerning text messages were sent to the family, which included one where Kramer wrote, "Loved everybody." Uh, and said he had to give his body to Mother Earth. His, this is what his father said. The family was surprised by the text. You wrote that on a note or a text? A text message. Oh, geez. Um, I can't imagine getting that text as a parent. Yeah, so the missing, uh, missing persons report sparked a hasty search uh, in the park's heavily traveled South Rim tourist area where authorities found Kramer's car at the lodge where he'd stayed. Uh, since that time... Uh, Shedlowski, which is a spokesperson for the park, said park personnel have scoured dozens of miles along the rim and wooded areas, repelled over the edge, and enlisted a helicopter for aerial supervision. Uh, he goes on to, uh, she goes on to say, as of late yesterday uh, afternoon and early evening, after six days of very intensive searching along the south rim, the decision was made to move from what we call a very active search to a very limited continuous search. Uh, she goes on to say, we no longer have teams out on the rim working in a methodical system. Crews, when they're on the area, will continue to search, uh, but it will not be the same search effort that was pre that previously occurred for the past six days. And this is, if this is the first episode you've listened to our show, this is very common in searches. At some point, they have to cut it back. Yeah. and But they will continue to do training exercises in areas where people have gone missing. Yeah, they know where all the people did go, so yeah. they always know to keep a lookout for that type of stuff. That looks like a really cool lodge. Yeah, I would totally go to this. Yeah. That's really awesome. That's cool. Um, so this spokesperson uh, continues to say, while the weather with daytime 
Temperatures in the 60s has been good. The train being searched, uh, she adds, the train being searched flat on top of the rim but rocking unstable just off the ridge can be challenging. There's trees down there, there's shrubs, there's rocks. The canyon walls are often shaded depending on the time of day. It's just a real mix of terrain which does, not, which does make it difficult to work in. Uh, it's unknown what Kramer uh, was wearing when last seen. I know we had a description, but they're not sure on what he was wearing. Asked if there's any report he might have left the park. Um, the park officials had no additional information on what, if, if he was in the park. All they know is his car was found there. So um, the biggest question on this case is, was the text foreshadowing suicide or did he just text? Like a lot of times when we go hiking, we're like, ah, I can't wait to get off the grid for a week. Yeah, but reread the the text again. What was so, the, and that is like confirmed. That's exactly what the text was, word for word. Yeah, his father confirmed it. He said um, he loved everybody and wanted to give his body back to Mother Earth. That sounds like what we think it might be. And yeah, I could I could imagine like if I got that as a text as a parent, I would probably freak out and think of every other thing it probably could be. I mean, it's got to be in context. If you're if the that person talks like that all the time, like that wouldn't be surprising. Like if they're kind of like, you know, into, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but. And I know we've talked about this in other episodes with suicide, but the big thing that we always say, and it's from what I've heard and just even working in the fire department and the, and the ambulance is the people who actually do it never show signs of it. Yeah, and and that's not all the time, but it's like most of the time, that's like a common theme is if there's someone actively showing signs, that's a cry for help. Yeah. And the people who go and commit almost, I I always hear it's like, we had no idea. We didn't know. We didn't know. But they they end up, they they follow a pattern where they'll give away personal belongings or they'll leave a note. Yeah. Like they always. Like that text. That that to me, like, because the family was like, we just saw American Sniper. He was in good spirits. They had no idea, like, he was potentially suicidal. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, oh, that's terrible. Obviously, um, I think the the theory in this one, and this is what everyone, everything I read was, even the Park Service is basically thinks it was a suicide. I. I as soon as you said the text that I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah that to me is the the note. That's his note. So uh, another uh, that's very sad, sad story. Hopefully, even though it was a suicide, hopefully someday the family will get closure and his remains will be found. Yeah, um, so we always hope for that in these cases. It's not the great outcome, but it's better than better than just just not knowing, not knowing. Because at least if the remains are found, they they know it's done. Yep. Like if no remains are found, you're back your head. You're always kind of wondering, like, as a parent, still I, alive. Yeah, I, it's I, I've been irrational about my kids. Yeah, so it's very easy for us not related to them to go like it's clearly this. But as yeah. like a father or mother that's dealing with it, you like you'd almost always have to keep the hope out that it's not that. And you you know you might find sadly if the remains are found, they might be able to do some kind of fr- forensic analysis and determine maybe it wasn't a suicide. Yeah. Which, I mean, it sounds terrible to say, but uh, at the end of the day, you just want closure. Sure. I don't want to dig myself into a hole here. Yep. <laughs> For, yeah, don't, don't do that. <laughs> so, uh, f- moving on to our final case. People um, who want us to get to the point on cases are going to love this series. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you did three of them it, in like 20 minutes. But then the people that say we spend too much time talking about the location are going to hate it because it was like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the same length, but we were nailed... We we did a location one time for three cases. Three cases. Yeah, we're getting more efficient. Yep. We're we're extending <laughs> we're extending a olive branch. Yes. To the it's too long, but I keep listening. Yeah. We're, it's for the TikTok generation. Now we're gonna get in trouble for taking time to talk about it. I know. <laughs> uh, all right. Third case. So this gentleman's name is Morgan Heimer. Um, twenty two years old. He went missing on June second of twenty fifteen. So same year. Uh, no remains have been found. He was male. Uh, he was six feet tall, 175 pounds. He had blonde hair, blue eyes. He was last seen wearing a maroon Nike hat, blue plaid, long sleeve shirt, bright colored shorts, and a dark colored Astral PFD, which um, for those of you who are not boaters, that's a personal flotation device, otherwise known as a life jacket. 
All right. Um, he was a professionally trained river guide working for the Tour West Rafting Company. He was from Cody, Wyoming, and he was enrolled in the University of Wyoming studying English. Uh, he was a very experienced outdoorsman and river guide and was an excellent swimmer. And experience in this location, uh, extensive because he was a, a professionally trained river guide uh, yeah. for this area. Uh, so this this case starts off on Tuesday, June 2nd at 2015, uh, 4 p.m. Morgan was last seen at approximately 4 p.m. around River Mile 213 near Pumpkin Springs in Grand Canyon National Park. Morgan said something to the lead guide about taking some time off that afternoon. The lead guide walked away from the cliff to talk to a client, and when he looked back, Morgan was gone. Uh, so it's another one of those. We've covered several cases now where allegedly the last person to see him was right next to the person, looked away for a second, and then they're gone. So Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so lost my spot here. Apologize. You're um, looking at the screen. That's why. Yeah. I'm just pulling up Pumpkin Springs because I'm trying to get an idea of where it is. So Pumpkin Springs is right there. Yep. And can you look up River Mile 213? I tried. That's Didn't not show a, up. Yeah. So do you see like a cliff or anything like overlooking well, the river? Well, it says it's near Pumpkin Springs so in that's the Grand Canyon the National river, Park. I'm guessing. What is what river is that? Is that a river? It's got to be the Colorado. Yeah. This is not not a river. That's Rio a, Grande. Rio Grande. Um, are there any other rivers nearby there? I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just trying to figure out which river they were on. Yeah, I'll keep looking. I'll let you know if I find it. Okay. It went pretty far because Grand Canyon National Park is there, so I might be in the wrong Pumpkin Springs. Yeah, it's in Grand Canyon National Park. Are you? <laughs> this is Apache National Forest. That's why, because Grand Canyon National Park's up here. So there might be like a. That's a hot spring in Arizona, so I don't. I don't know. Well. I'll look it up. Either I'll, way. You keep so, going, I'll, I'll figure it out. And I'll like let, we said, I'll let everybody the, know. the guide, one of the other guides was standing on the cliff right next to Morgan and went to go talk to a customer. And when he came back, was gone and never seen again. Another friend, a friend recalled that a mem- Now, this contradicts the official statement from MPS. So I don't know how much stock we're going to put in this, but this was a friend of Morgan's who said this. A member of the group remembers him standing next to the party during a campfire, and the next minute he was gone. So, the group was on a six was on day six of an eight day trip. So Tuesday, June second, now twenty fifteen, he was reported missing at seven twenty six p.m. on the same day by a member of the river trip, following a swim in the river by the group after he failed to turn up for dinner. Searchers said at the time he definitely has the skills and ability to perform the job and be a person we have a high likelihood to find. Oh, you found... Uh, well, is this... What was his guide company? Because I just pulled Tour it. West. Okay, so this is not the same one, but this is mile 213. They said it's a great place for cliff diving. Okay, yeah. For swimming. Some of the comments online talked about the spot that Morgan was last seen is a popular spot for people to cliff dive. Yeah, it's spring water. Okay, I'll keep, I'll keep trying to find it here. Okay. So searchers at the time thought they had a high likelihood of finding him just because of his skill level. So it is now uh, June 5th of 2015. And uh, the search mission from uh, by the MPS was ongoing. Park rangers and search and rescue teams extensively searched the river between miles 211 and 225. And on land, stretching from river mile 211 to 215, 15 around pumpkin springs they then extended the search area to diamond creek 12 miles west of pumpkin springs fellow employees of the tour west guide service clients on the river and other river outfitters and their clients were interviewed Uh, now it's june 8th of 2015 we have a statement from the mps they wrote with no additional clues to guide search efforts on land or water, the search will be scaled back to a continuous but limited mode in which rangers and pilots will continue to search for clues um, when in the area. In addition, flyers with Morgan's picture and description remain posted at various South Rim locations and 
All launching river trips will be briefed on searching for him. Uh, just some additional notes. The FBI and Park Service interviewed his family, friends, and acquaintances for any information about his disappearance and well-being. He checked out as a mentally healthy individual in the opinion of the investigators. So, interesting. All right. So, I haven't found Diamond Creek, but here's Diamond or Pumpkin Springs. But here's Diamond Creek. It says 12 miles west. So, that's yeah. right here. Okay. So, that was a different Pumpkin Springs because that was like down here. Yeah. So, it's around this area. Yeah. It's got to be uh, near a river somewhere. Yeah, but... right. This is right here. This is the river. Okay. This is in the canyon. Yeah. So, yeah, that other place was a different Pumpkin so, Springs. So, basically, this guy was standing... You know, they, they stopped for the day. It's in the afternoon. He was standing on a cliff overlooking the river, talking to one of the other guides. And there was no indication that he was in any kind of mental distress. Um, the FBI and Park Service investigators interviewed everyone from his family and life and came to the conclusion. Obviously, this isn't ironclad, but came to the conclusion that he was mentally sound and yeah. not... Uh, you know, not someone who would be suspected of suicide. So, you know, what happened to Morgan? So despite the extensive six-day search, he was never seen again and no evidence was ever found. Um, you know, quite... Oh, and it's saying it was the Colorado River that, that he was on. Yeah, here's Colorado River. So okay, so you found it. It was, yeah, right this area. There's yeah. Diamond Creek Beach. So, yeah, it's like right around here. So people... You know, what happened? Did he accidentally fall into the river? Uh, was he drowned and caught, you know, at a strainer point? Um, did he commit suicide? Did He, he was have, wearing the life jacket? Yeah, when he was last seen, he had the life jacket on. Interesting. Which, and someone online said the Colorado River at this section doesn't move very fast. So if someone fell in, it's not like a, a you would be like just swept away. You would like slowly float down the river. Okay. Based on this comment, I have not been there in person, so I can't verify sure. that. But I, I'm assuming if it's an area where people cliff dive, it's probably a pretty slow-moving current. Yeah, you're not going to be jumping into the rapids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, did he suffer a sudden medical emergency and fall off the cliff? So, you know, he'd been working all day. It's hot. Did he have a heat stroke? Was he dehydrated? Possibility. Um, did he have an accident? Was he, you know, taking a pee? <laughs> to be blunt, yeah, and slipped and fell, or like fell and had a head injury, yeah. So like, and then fell into the water, yeah, like that knocked him out. So, I think what makes this last case so strange is it's another one of those where someone was right next to him, looked away for a few minutes, and then he was gone. I think what is less mysterious is that he was on a cliff overlooking a river, so. So did I, did I talk about what happened uh, when we were up in Apostle Islands No, on the show? Maybe so you might have. I don't know. I had an experience where that kind of happened. Oh, really? Yeah, I was with my family. We were up in the Apostle Islands area, uh, Apostle Islands State Park. And Minnesota. We were, oh, no, in, in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, remember when we went camping with Jack? Did you come with us when we no. all went up there? Okay. Um, it's, it's a long drive, but we went to the state park and there's this area called the Eagle's nest. It's a big rock outcropping yeah. where you can go jump off into the lake. So we had planned on all of me and my kids. Is we had life jackets. You and go stuff. past door County. Oh yeah. It's t the top. Okay. Of, I've been up there, but yeah. not camping. Yeah. So, um, we were there and we are coming up and the water was crazy treacherous. So we're like, yeah. okay, we can't swim in this. There was a, a dad and a son that were swimming in it. Okay. And right as we walked up, um, the dad had just climbed out. And then we didn't notice at first because we were just, you know, when you go into rock outcroppings, it's wavy. It's just cool yeah. to look at the water and stuff. And, I've, you know, we spent half the time keeping our kids away from the edge <laughs> yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, and I saw the guy jump off. And then we were just walking around. And then some lady who was there, too, came up and was like, he hasn't come up yet. Yeah. And so. Like he jumped just to like. Like he, he jumped off already to go swimming. Oh. And then he climbed up and he was jumping off again. Yeah. And, and he just didn't come up. He did not come up. Yeah. And so I got my kids like away. Yeah. They don't and, see that. The, and he had a son who was older, like 15, 16 was yeah. there and was like, kind of like, like 
thousand yard stare, like not processing it. Uh, but we ended up getting like fire department, everything never found him. Never it took three him. days to find his body. Oh, wow. And like, it was right there. So what I was doing is I got my kids out of there, had my son run to the front, uh, to alert the authorities. Cause we had no yeah. cell signal. And I, I was just looking around to see like, we knew exactly where he went Yeah, and it was super wavy. Could not find the fire no, department came. Didn't have a life jacket on. Uh, no, no. Up and down the shore, everything just in in an instant. Yeah, and like I had watched him jump in and was walking around, and this other lady saw it. So it totally can happen that quick, and it like is almost jarring how it's just like, oh wow, he was yeah. just there, and like you can't process it. So it could have been. I, I theorized on that one because the waves were hitting the rock so hard. If he yeah. jumped in and hit his head and got knocked out, yep. And the waves are so tumultuous, it like could keep you under from the force. Yeah. So if he hit his head and went under and got, like you said, caught in a strainer point and anything, like it could just be that. But he had a life jacket on. I yeah. I mean, if if you float it downstream, maybe it's slow, no one sees you, you're gone, then you hit white water. Yeah. You could get trapped underneath I mean, know, he one wasn't, of those vortexes or something like he that. He wasn't reported so say he fell into the river at four roughly four he wasn't reported missing until eight so four hours of floating down the river yeah going um, to areas that are rapid the question is stuck there. you know how quick is the current like how many miles would you float yeah down the river in four hours and you would think that search and rescue would know that so i'm i would assume when they said they searched a mile marker 225 on the river they know how fast the current is. Yeah, they're not just randomly picking. They're not just picking a mile marker. They probably, all right, this amount of time has passed. Let's search this far down the river. Um, but, I mean, maybe he took his life jacket off before jump. Maybe Yeah, then, like they like saw Like he him. fell with it, and then the life jacket floated away from him down well, the like river. Like if it wasn't buckled on? Maybe, it, yeah, maybe it had unbuckled. Yeah. Or maybe he had just taken it off, like, oh, I'm done for the day, I'm taking it off, and then he went to go to the bathroom and slipped and fell in. Him and the life jacket fall in, but then he's not wearing it. Yeah. And then he gets... So this is, I mean, it doesn't show much. That is not white water. No. This is where people jump off and swim. Yeah, so that, that would is have been very... kind of right where he would have been standing. Yeah, so that's like n- not a swift current at all. Now, granted, if it's raining or whatever, it can I'm sure it can change speeds, but... Like you said, if it's a place where people jump off and go swimming, yeah, it's probably usually not a strong current in that location. My guess is I'm going to rule out suicide only because his the investigators didn't think. Obviously, it's still a possibility, but yeah, I think what maybe happened is he was tired. He went up to the ledge to maybe go to the bathroom and slipped, hit his head. His life jacket maybe wasn't. We don't know if it was buckled or not. Or maybe he had taken it off because he's done for the day and then fell in. Yeah. And then he got stuck, you know, went down the river and a, a bit and then got stuck in one of those strainer points. Um, yep. And the I'm, searchers uh, didn't find him. I'm I'm with you, and I'm going to say freak accident. Yeah, freak accident. Um, And just unfortunately, that's how it ended. Yeah. So uh, that or, that's the three cases that I... I had not, you know, sorry for anyone listening, not very uh, cheerful cases this week. I mean, are they ever really cheerful? The one where the, yeah. the husband or the gr- guy and the girlfriend were, were found was a, a positive outcome. So the one? The one. The one of like 70 or yeah. whatever we're on, 78. 78. So 77 of the 78 are not. So uh, let us know in the comments. Yeah, we want to hear your theories. Your theories, and if you like these cases that we cover a couple you know, cases with a little less information. Yeah, I think if we sprinkle them in there, we'll be good. Yeah, we'll sprinkle them in. We'll always sprinkle them in. Oh, uh, uh, ooh, oh we're oh. recording a very fun and interesting oh, yes. Patreon episode next on the strange stuff that's been in the sky lately. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun conspiracy episode. episode only ooh. for paid subscribers. So if yes. you want to hear that, you have to go to our Absolutely. Patreon channel. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> little, little. Probably, I'll probably have to mute that because it's it'll be copyrighted. It'll be uh, it'll be like. Do you think they'll pick up like the one second whistle? Maybe we'll they're see. Pretty, they're we'll pretty see. good at we'll at see getting copyright strikes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, 
all the places where you find uh, can find our videos and each ep- episode on YouTube as well. Also, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some cool swag. Additionally, you can subscribe to our patron account on YouTube uh, and also on YouTube and al- also now on Apple where you can do the extra and you can get that episode that we're talking about. Um, I, I keep wanting to call it patron episodes. It's paid subscriber paid episodes. subscriber episodes. Yeah, if you want to hear crazy conspiracy theories and other theories that were conspiracy theories that became true because they're unclassified, you are going to want to get a patron <laughs> or subscriber subscription and listen to that show. Yes. And lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time. <laughs>